Welcome to the Space Cave. I'm David Huntsberger. A big warg to all of you. Let's check in with a citizen of planet Earth. Hello? Harmon Leon. Hello? Hey, can you can hear you, me? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, dude. This is great. I'm in the middle of a park in New Zealand, and, and we're, <laughs> we're making technology work. We really are, and it sounds very park-like in the distance. I mean, normally <laughs> Skype has this kind of uh, hum to yeah. it, but... I feel like I'm in New Zealand. Yeah, dude, you're in the middle of Central Park. It's aptly, it is actually called Central Park. And ironically, it's in the center of Wellington. <laughs> and you, you've been there for like four days now, and your clock, or your internal clock, well, you're pretty used to it from traveling all over the world, but uh, are you just now getting acclimated and then you got to turn around and head home a day later? Oh, no, I, I've been here about like almost two weeks. So um, I'm going home tomorrow. So I'm the acclimation. Well, pretty much when you do these festivals, like you're just off and running like the minute you get off the plane. Yeah. And oh, then you have like the show the next night and then that adrenaline keeps you going. So, yeah, I didn't really. Yeah, we've been uh, communicating through email. And in my mind, it had been a few days ago that you're like, hey, I'm flying down to New Zealand. I didn't realize it's been two weeks. Good. Good heavens. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good run. The, the audiences here are just really nice. It's just like an audience of nice people <laughs> cool man and were you doing the same show that i saw at the fringe the infiltration show yeah yeah so basically like in edinburgh that's always like you're working on the show every day and you're like you know rehearsing and honing it here it's just like boom just turn up to the gig talk into the microphone <laughs> nice how many of these uh, like international festivals do you do per year um, I just do really two. So I do like one around this time of the year and then I do Edinburgh. Oh, cool, man. Well, I, I just finished your book and uh, I, I mean, watching the the Edinburgh show, it was, uh, you know, clear that you had gone and done all those things. You're seeing a lot of the photos that are in the book and whatnot, but I think the book gave more of an insight into like how much planning goes into it and uh I probably gave an introduction before this, but if I didn't, the book is um, Meet the Deplorables. Like you're, you're infiltrating and going and seeing these weird groups all around the country. In my mind, I thought you just went to one place like near the border and then you went to a gun club there and then you went to like a weird church there. But you're going like all over the country to meet just strange types, weirdly eccentric out there, far end of either the, the right side of the political spectrum. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's always the extremists are the most fun, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> when you go to meet them, because it's like you're just put into this world you normally wouldn't be in, and it's like you're you're rubbing elbows with people you normally wouldn't, you know, communicate with or interact <laughs> with, and uh, that's just part of the intrigue. It's like uh, you know, you're making these real world documentaries without cameras. Well, I mean. I, you know, our mutual friend, Scott Kalonico. Hello, Scott. Uh, would tell me about, let's like, say hello to Scott Kalonico. <laughs> <laughs> he would, he would talk about when you guys went on, uh, judge Joe Brown and were faux adversaries. And I don't know if we can, uh, divulge that information publicly now, but I would imagine there's a statute of limitations or what are the chances that Joe's listening to oh, this Oh no, podcast? no, it, it was, it was, it was disclosed like the minute it aired. Oh, okay. <laughs> but like, and then I printed the article and it, it was, that's part of the fun. You wait, like uh, that was just like a whole different era of infiltration where I was just really into infiltrating reality TV shows. And I got on quite a lot uh, <laughs> just posing as characters. And uh, the Judge Joe Brown one, that was favorites where I uh, just created a fabricated case and uh, recruited people like our friend Scott Colonico. And we fought it out in fake TV court. <laughs> The, um, I guess that's a whole second backstory, like your fascination with just getting into where you shouldn't be. Like you hear about these people that are like, how'd that guy get into the Oscars or someone snuck into the Super Bowl or 
but yours is more like, oh, I want to sneak into one of these weird revival churches, or I want to go and be part of, like, uh, the Oath Keepers, or, like, in your book, you do a whole bunch of them, like, weird, um, you do the, the ring one, like, the Promise Ring group, and then you do... Um, the Minutemen at the border and then just all these different groups for mm-hmm. like when you're talking about like oh aren't they fun like is I think watching a documentary and like kind of cringing and be like oh my god there are people like that who think that there is the deep state or uh, you know all these kind of Illuminati yeah. things and whatnot and then you not only don't snicker at that and go ha, what do you you like are drawn to go be a part of them to go b- pretend to be one of them and interact with them yeah, yeah. And again, when writing this book, it's like it's easy to go into right wing extremist groups and just like fire off a zillion jokes, just mocking them. Um, but like in the book, you know, I try at least, you know, put an attempt to uh, kind of understand their mindset. You know, how do they get there? How, how does a group like the Oath Keepers uh, who people might know them from the days of like Ferguson, uh, they suddenly just appeared armed uh, on the top of roofs or or the, the, the Nevada Bundy Ranch standoff, uh, you know, how how do they see the world? What, what, what is their thought process? What, what, what is the filter which they view, you know, world events? And, and, and essentially you're with these guys and it's like a real life Alex Jones chat room yeah. right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Especially the Oath Keepers. They, uh, yeah, I mean, essentially they see everything in the world. There are a lot of ex-military and ex-law uh, enforcement and they see any type of uh, curving of gun laws that will result in three steps later. We're all in twenty four seven FEMA camps. Yeah, yeah. Those, I love those <laughs> quotes in your book where people are saying things like that to you, and then you were like, just yeah. you'd regurgitate back their motto, which is like, "Not on our watch," which I think is like really helpful that you had something like that that you could say, as opposed to like when they turn to you and go, "What are your thoughts, new guy?" And you have to kind of spin your wheels. Instead, you could just go, not on our watch. That was, I love that part. I thought that was really funny. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing when you infiltrate these extremist groups is like, you do do the research. Uh, what are their catchphrases? What are, you know, what is, what ties them all together? You know, just, you know, find out as much about them as possible. So when you do dive in there, uh, you can sort of help escalate the action in your interactions with them. And, and again, that's what I like about infiltrating is, uh, you get these honest natural responses from these people like if i go into like say the oath keepers again if i go in and say i'm a journalist and i want to write my big oath keeper expose you know they're going to be guarded but when you're actually in there in the back room of the gun range uh you're going around the circle uh, taking turns reading the constitution as they did in their meeting and then you know just interacting with them it's just like you get the unfiltered sort of version of them Oh man, I mean it's it's so fascinating. One, the lack of research they do, like the amount of mm-hmm. uh, you know membership cards and things that you got under false names, where that you could just show up and be like, you had all these great names that fit. Like I'm Hank Campbell, like or you know very all American <laughs> names. So. But the, I picture you in New York, and if people, I'm sure like people are listening to this, like what does this dude look like? It's not like you're just kind of like <laughs> a buzzed haircut. You know, oh, he could blend in anywhere. That looks like there's goes Edward Norton or someone like that. You have like long dreadlocks and a beard. And so you're always having to like hide your own look to move in there. I picture you sitting in New York and just doing a bit of research through the Internet and then being like, well, I guess I just got to book a flight, become this person, show up with this badge. I'll dress this way and my name will be this. And that gets you off and going. Like, is that as much backstory do you do? Or do you walk around New York <laughs> pretending to be this guy for a week before you head down there? No, I mean, I don't go like all Sean Penn where, you, uh, I, where everyone around me has to call me by the name. <laughs> I'm critical infiltrate. You know? <laughs> for leading up to it um it's just really again it's just like about doing the research and it's sort of being like a not so much stereotype of what that group would be but in a way sort of a heightened version of what uh you perceive a member of that group would be but then you know then sometimes you're surprised at uh you know what they're actually like my maybe i was reading too much into this but i found it was so funny i feel like if i were in it I would have an impulse uh-huh. to like when they're passing out the constitution at the oath keepers meeting and they go, does everyone have one? And, yeah. and you're like, I, do, I forgot mine. And they go, here you go. And they like bill you for it. They're like, here's your pocket 
constitution, yeah. I would have, a, I think I'd initially be like, isn't it weird that there are amendments that we have changed this in the past? Isn't it weird that, and you never do that. In fact, you lean more into the other side, which I thought was so funny because I would imagine when you're a, a person in that group, there must be some mm-hmm. part of you that's like, everyone here seems pretty normal, right? Everyone seems pretty okay. And you kind of leaned more into like the, uh, oh no, that guy's a member of the group. What am I doing? That guy's such a weirdo. <laughs> I really like that. Like you would just ask kind of bizarre questions. Like when you're at the, with the uh, anti-abortion people, the people that are picketing and yeah. you're just like talking about costumes you wanted to wear and signs you wanted to make and just really silly, goofy stuff. I thought that was much, that was a much smarter way to go about it. Cause it makes them look at it and go, what am I doing? Well, that's, that's part of it is like you're, you're, uh, you know, I say the theme of the book is to satirize and humanize uh, uh, some of these characters. And, you know, like you're saying, the people in front of Planned Parenthood, you're kind of doing a satirical to the 11th power version of of what they do. Yeah. Uh, but you're taking it a, a step further, you know, because like, you know, they're big on like arts and crafts at those <laughs> protests. So you take that to... You do what they do, but you do it a little bit more and a little bit more enthusiastic. <laughs> it does humanize it in a way. And I hate to say that, especially with like the abortion um, picketing people, because it's mostly dudes. But when the cop yeah. shows up and he just kind of has this look of like, like he's caught teenagers drinking behind the convenience store again or something like, guys, what have I been telling you? You can't be, you know, they just all have this resigned kind of like, all right, officer. Okay. We'll, we'll put our signs down. And that one guy gets real upset, but overall it, it does make it seem like no one takes them serious. And then, you know, when those people go and do harm, say later, mm-hmm. like if you left, what would you, what would your thoughts be like? What Dave did that? He was such a mild mannered guy. I can't believe that I was there with him. I can't believe he went and blew that place up. No, it's like you see the seeds of of that there. You see, like, uh, again, like in the story, um, you know, the the police turned up. And like you said, it's like, oh, I can see that this interaction goes on every weekend. You know, how many times I tell you guys you can't have these signs on the public property? You know, he's just kind of like giving up. Here we go again. Look, and then. Like this mild mannered guy suddenly snaps and he's just like, you know, we, you can't silence us. We won't be silenced. And it's like, you, you see, you know, when we read about the tragedies that happen, you know, at, at clinics, you could see that's just bubbling underneath the surface. Not to say, you know, that particular group would do that, but you could see again, the thought process that would lead them to do that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, I mean, that's why when you're reading the book, you're like this could be 20 books. You could go into each character of each, each situation you go into. And you, like, if you spend a month with each of them, I would imagine at the end of it, there would be a lot of uh, twists and turns and revelations. And, you know, a guy that goes to the abortion clinic or say goes and pickets in front of Planned Parenthood every weekend for 17 years. That's such a bizarre yeah, thing to do. That is insane. <laughs> but and again, like uh, what you're saying is it's like it's largely groups of hardened middle aged men, you know? Yeah. So you, you have, have that dynamic, too. And then mm-hmm. also weird was like the Catholics wouldn't pick it with the Protestants. You had to <laughs> choose which side. It was like, you know, oh, oh, it's like a Northern Ireland neighborhood when it yeah. comes to Planned Parenthood protesting. <laughs> yeah, let me throw in. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't get into that, but they'll be throwing f- f- explosives at each other just on turf wars over who can pick it where and a whole new IRA and blah, blah, blah. And I, uh, <laughs> well, it's really good. I really, I really enjoyed it and, uh, hope people will go out and, and, ch- and, um, where's the best place to, to get it? If I just put a link oh, up or. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble are always the two main, uh, go to for for uh to get meet the deplorables infiltrating trump america cool man meet the deplorable meet the deplorables infiltrating trump america you and ted rawl who does a lot of cartoons for it as well and he writes a lot more of it than i when i was reading it it took me a couple par- like of uh chapters to be like oh oh this is this guy again and then you're- yeah 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 so ted rawl uh he kind of creates the sort of uh, bookend of uh, so the book site divided into five different types of uh, uh, so-called deplorables that I infiltrate and he, he kind of does more of the editorializing and uh, 
that kind of leads us into the infiltration chapter. So along with the artwork, uh, which, you know, in the end, it turned out to be like a good kind of mix. And it's always fun to collaborate with people and, you know, create something different than you would just do, you know, on your own. Yeah, so I mean, when I was reading and reading his, and he's a, a an excellent writer, but as he was writing, I kept feeling like, oh man, what's he getting into next? And then, kind of each segment of his writing would end with like, and now Harmon's going to go into here, and it was almost like he was turning it loose. And you're like, so I'm at this conversion center for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just kind of lets you kind of just cleanse your palate between the sections, and then boom, you dive back into it. So I thought that kind of uh, structure. Uh, was kind of a work work unique you know yeah you know again good to collaborate well congrats on getting it done man and i don't know if you'd be up for chatting a little bit more um but i'd love to hear more about it if you're up for that but um thanks thanks for uh, taking a little time from in the in the central park in in wellington and uh hope you have safe travels getting home and uh hope the book does really well man it's really terrific i'll be spreading the word thank you man i really appreciate that and you know always great to chat with you you know be it if it's not in person uh via skype from the middle of wellington new zealand <laughs> opposite sides <laughs> of the world yeah dude this was fun yeah Harmon leon is an interesting fellow uh, the new book or the book that we were discussing is called uh, meet the deplorables as he mentioned um with some additional writing and illustrations from ted rawl i highly recommend it i will um tweet a link to it put it on the website as well it's just a very fascinating look into a lot of the discussions that are happening currently about who could support this who are these people and uh harman goes in and meets them and finds out what what makes them tick what they're thinking some of it's a little frightening the things that people can convince themselves to do but as he mentioned uh kind of giving it a little bit of humanity and to a certain degree, you know, you always like with any situation, you can find yourself empathizing a little bit, uh, a little harder from the outside, I would suppose, or maybe easier. I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Uh, you can listen to, to more of our chatting in the Patreon, which will go up later this week. So if you want to hear more about that, I'll ask him all kinds of those questions. And that's the best way to do that. So a little secret society of those who support the space cave and i thoroughly appreciate it uh this show is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you uh all right let's get to some hardcore chatting this uh is an interesting one because as you find uh being here in los angeles and you've probably heard a few of these chats by now where it's someone who has a background in science but they moved on into entertainment zach's one of those people who studied uh, neuroscience at brown very prestigious school and uh, then decided to get into to comedy and did is doing very well at it. He's written for uh, Jimmy Kimmel and SNL, and you'll hear us talk about all those things as well as his like research and background in neuroscience. We had some Iron Fist Pale Ale, which is bottle conditioned. Which for those of you who are home brewing out there, it's uh, it's interesting to see that like a, a brewery that's shipping and distributing beer would still be bottle conditioning because I always associate it with having like a little bit of sort of that yeasty residue at the bottom of the bottle that you can't quite pour all of it out. But this didn't have that. And I thought it was, it was excellent. So if you haven't had any, um, iron fist pale ale, get your hands on it. It's pretty good. Anyway, here's part one with Zach Bornstein. It's not, it's not enough. It's not enough. You need those 32 ohms. And if then, you have 33, it's, yeah, it's a little much. It's not necessary. Yeah, if you've ever used uh, headphones with 33 ohms mm-hmm. or 34. It's a three-wheel bike. You know yeah, I mean? it's too much. All right, I'm going to... There goes some beer. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, shit. I've dived in. I mean, no darn. <laughs> yeah, keep that keep that gwidge to a... Uh, Nelson the Impaler American Pale Ale from Iron Fist Brewing Company. I just see here that it's bottle-conditioned. That's pretty... Having just brewed some beer... You brew uh, beer? Yeah. My girlfriend and I started mm-hmm. doing it a while ago. Does your house stink? I heard that your house stinks. For like a day, it smells like um, a cereal factory or something. <laughs> a <laughs> cereal factory? Yeah, because you've... Is you've, that good or bad? It's kind of pleasant. Some people really hate it, but I think... I kind of like it. What kind of cereal? Like, um... I don't even... I've never been to a cereal factory. But oh, I man. Think that's just a wild stab then. <laughs> well, it's grains. You've got all the oh, grains oh, that you're, oh, you're oh. boiling. And so there's I something see. about it. That, like, if... I don't know if I've ever heated up cereal, but that's what I imagine mm. it would smell like. 
What is you, your your little? Th- oh, I see what's happening. The lid is clicking. I thought you had a little ball in there, like in a Guinness can or something. In here? Yeah. There is one. Oh, really? Yeah. It's like a. What does that do? It's a. Uh, this sounds so douchey. This is not me, but this is a like a protein powder shake bottle. Uh huh. And I just discovered. Uh, you can put coffee in it and mix that with the protein powder. Ah. And so I, I started Instant going to diarrhea. the gym. Yeah, it really comes squirting out real quick. <laughs> uh, are you sponsored by this beer company? No, every now and again, oh. um, beer companies send me some beer. I don't do a great job of reaching out to them. But on the off chance that I do, sometimes they send me some stuff. Oh. But this well, one you- is just one I went and just picked up at the local liquor store. It seemed it's from Vista, California, so that's somewhat near here, near, down near San Diego. You just you came in hot on the top of the podcast with a with a product plug. I was like, oh, it must be sponsored. <laughs> but then it's just well, you just to, love this product. Well, I used to um, like tweet the day, uh, you know, like Friday, say before the episode would come out, and be like, hey, this is the beer we're having. Get yourself some, mm. and then that way, people if they're listening can share the same beer and be oh. like, oh, we're having this iron. Fist. Most people listen to podcasts while they're driving. Yeah, I think that's a high percentage. But <laughs> so I was, if you crack open a cold uh, American Pale Ale while you're on the, the 405, road, you grab your beer, crack it open, and get out on the road. Do uh, it. Drive um, drunk. I'm trying to think of who it was that uh, said someone. It, I didn't do that just out of like maybe people would like this. Someone said like, "Hey, let us know beforehand, and I'll tr- we'll try to source the beer." But then there hasn't been a lot of follow up. Like, I drink this. I I go get that beer. Oh yeah. But if they are, well, I think you normally listen to you listen to podcasts. You start the podcast. It's rare someone would start a podcast, go, oh, they're drinking that beer, and then pause, pause it, 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 go to the store, come back, and be like, okay, now I'm ready to oh, I love that though. sit in a chair and just listen to this. Yeah. Like well, podcasts are saying you do, you listen to it while you're, you're doing something usually. I guess so. I mean, everyone's different. There was- um, No, everyone's the same. Everyone's exactly the same? <laughs> Dang it. Uh, this guy Scott, if you're listening, he would like listen Scott. to it as after his wife went to bed. He would just sort of lay in bed. He's like, I like it. At the end oh, of the night, I just good. like lay there and listen to it. So shout out to Scott. Yeah, I think sometimes it's kind of meditative. That's a nice way to do it. Yeah, kind of ca- cap off your day. I do that after my girlfriend falls asleep, but instead of listening to a podcast, I just weep deeply. She doesn't hear it. Uh, no, she does, and she she doesn't oh. like it. She she puts in earplugs, says mm-hmm. head to it, mm-hmm. and then you like a sobbing. Like, does it shake the bed or you yeah? Just, it shakes the house. Yeah, and we live on a stilts house, so it's it's really moving. So you're a danger. Yeah, you're yeah, an yeah. earthquake danger while you're weak. <laughs> but is it cathartic or it's every night? Um, well, it was a bit, so now I'm regretting it because that's the that's an honest question. <laughs> so now I'm. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I should, uh, I should just said that's, that. That's that's too my, deep uh, into it. That's my yes ending. Really I'm pressing deep. the abort button on that one. <laughs> I want to see how deeply you've done the back work on this character that moves <laughs> deeply. That's see, what's nice in text messages. If you're like too deep into a bit and you just want to abort, you can just say ha 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 ha, and then that will usually that'll cleanse the palate. <laughs> It's I, like, okay, you won. <laughs> you you got the haws. Oh, yeah. I guess I'd have to go back and look through. I only have a couple people that will get really, really deep into like, oh, this hasn't been a serious conversation for months. <laughs> 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 My dad and I have never exchanged information. <laughs> um Sometimes my parents will tell me before, at the beginning of a phone call, they'll say, Zach, no, no bits. Because really? they'll, they'll be like, we need to like, they need like flight information or yeah. something. There's just some like logistical information that they need now and i will be like because i'm a piece of shit and then they will be like zach please just we just need the we just need the data it's just the information yes thank you so much that'd be fun if you're like an air traffic controller and they were actually flying and about to land and like please we have 15 seconds no more bits (laughs) drill bits I don't know how I got this job. <laughs> Where are you from originally? You Seattle. Talk, you're from Seattle. I feel like you, so maybe it's just through SNL I associate you as a New York guy. I've lived there a few times now, but I'm not from there. A lot of people think I'm from New York. I don't know what that is. Do I just give off like a bitter vibe? Or is We're it? wearing a chain, which is like a kind of a cool, oh. like, um, it seems New York-y. It seems oh, like. Oh, okay. It's just like a nostalgic Jew. It's from a, 
it was a relative who passed away when I was young. So ah, okay, yeah, That's threw that one right back up in your face. <laughs> well, I'm all sad now. <laughs> I was thinking you were out there, you know, hitting the streets, doing b boy moves, and oh doing, yeah, you know, some dancing. This chain is very much like wearing a wife beater with a slice of pizza in one hand and like a, a deflated basketball in the other. Oh really? I don't know. It feels like that's the vibe, even though that's not. I that's think it's not a cool me. chain. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. I like it. So, if, I asked you the other night at the show if you knew Jono. He's also he's from San Diego, but like lived in Seattle. He has some Seattle. It was the Nero guy. Yeah, it was. A, I really wanted to meet him, but he I had to leave. And then yeah, what was it? He's a neuro comedian. Yeah, he had a got his PhD in neuroscience. Did research on rats and and mostly with like addiction and drugs and stuff like Nerd. that. Nerd. What'd you do yours in? I did it in memory and sleep. Okay. Yeah. Those are yeah. I, I feel like those came up a lot during. I've chatted with him a bunch of times, but sleep and dreams comes up a lot, and he's so always kind of like, yeah, I'm a little out of my depth. But you, that's more kind of right in your wheelhouse. Dude, sleep is so weird. The, a third. You don't spend a third of your life doing anything. Else. Like right. eating is probably the next biggest like time suck. That mm-hmm. maybe I guess breathing you do probably that you do in 24 hours, but. In terms of just like a chunk of activity. Yeah, you can do nothing else you can, while you're yeah, doing it. A third. That's like an insane time commitment. So yeah. it must be some important shit. And also <laughs> your brain just goes insane. Like yeah. you just like hallucinate, like passed out with a boner for eight <laughs> hours a day. It's bonkers. If your phone, I'm trying to equate it to things that need a recharge. Like, ooh, this battery is draining. Yeah. If it, like its eyes... If it rattled, if it shook there, and you're like, "Whoa, that phone's really into something." Yeah, your phone for you had to, for a third of the time, it, it you plug it in, and it just shows images like that. It's incapable. It's never shown before, yeah. and encodes those as like in as memories. Like it like stores a bunch of new photos of like places you've never been to, <laughs> but it's like you with your dad's face and like your um, mom's like teeth or whatever coming out of your eyebrows or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Holy shit, where'd that come from? <laughs> what I, Someone at one point told me the most frustrating dream thing. They're like, you know, anything you have in a dream is, every image is something you have seen. Your, your mind can't create new stuff. And I was like, I feel like that's highly suspect. I don't think that's true because you can, well, it's true in a way, but what you can combine things. Yeah. Like if you've never seen, you know, some, a specific person in Thailand's face. Mm-hmm. You couldn't you probably wouldn't see that person in your dream, but you could you could combine your dad's face in like a a a, a power vacuum into like <laughs> one object that has never existed before. Yeah. But I think it's a it's a combination thing. It's also it's very much about sorting your memories into like compa- into and like integrating your memories from that day into your long-term memories. I uh, did you ever have a, an old PC that you had to defragment? You Wouldn't maybe, you like touch the monitor thing and it goes like for a second? No, yeah. no, no. This was like you would go into if your computer's running a little slowly or whatever, and you like, uh-huh. I don't get it. Like I have enough memory that the all my files are cleared off of there. You could go into like the startup menu, and then <laughs> that sound is so great. It sounds like someone played a little roulette in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the roller. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> Come to you live from the Bellagio. Oh, <laughs> uh, what was I? I got confused with the thing. I was <laughs> new shooter. So you would go to start menu, and then you would go into like there were one or two steps, but you would get to like. You would just say defragment and then start and it would show all these, it would show like bars of yellow and red and then red meant like, oh, all those files are out of place. And then so it would just work for like however many minutes and try to turn them all back to kind of yellow or some neutral color and get rid of the red. And it would be like, oh, you had three gigs of files that were, someone equated it to me of like, it's sort of like a library if a couple of the shelves just completely knocked over and your computer was taking time. So like, all right, let's put all these books back up there. And that's in a way what I kind of equated sleep to is like your mind is just going here, 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 here. This goes there, 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 there. This file goes there and you're just mm. seeing the craziest shit. That's wild. I've never heard of that. Oh, okay. That's a good way to think of it though. Interesting. Okay. So I'm not too far off because that seemed like too one-to-one or too literal of a connection and I assume our brains are a lot more complicated. Well, the other thing is just no one has any fucking idea. <laughs> like people still are like, 
when sleep researchers they have conferences and stuff and they're still like there's a lot of research but still if you like asked one of them why we dream they'd be like mm, maybe this like there's still no yeah consensus you um you were so baffled the other night when i was like oh i went to your website and saw that you like had a background in this mm-hmm. but then beyond that it's, it was like you also do like talks you go places and like give neuroscience talks i used to until about 2012 maybe 2013 i did more mm-hmm. but i feel like with comedy you really have to like if you don't do it 100 percent, you're kind of fucked yeah, there's a very few people I can recall from the open mic days that had like a really great high paying normal job that were just nailing it at open mic. It doesn't make you can't. You have to be miserable and you yeah, have to yeah. go full miserable comedy to make it work. Yeah, I would think some people think of it as like an affect that you're like, oh, well, you get into that and then you start to gain a little weight and watch too much TV and <laughs> things and get stuck in your own head. And you're like, no, that's all a byproduct. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're getting the cause and effect mixed up. <laughs> so you were on that track. What was it? Because like with Jono too, I think that's so funny that maybe the brain is too uncharted and it's too frustrating. Like I'm not, do you need like finality? Meaning like, Oh, I I needed, if I knew I could get somewhere in neuro research to like, yes, we've gotten to a new, open a new frontier, gotten Mm -hmm. to a new level. Yes. But the fact that it's so murky, I just want to, I realize all of life is just so kind of inconsequential. I want to do something fun. Is that it? Is that why I went in to comedy? Yeah. Um, It's such a weird turn. Well, so my turn kind of came because I was doing both in college and then I took a, um, brains are insane and I often <laughs> regret that I didn't keep going in that area. But the, I, in college I was like in all the comedy groups and then I was also in a bunch of neuro labs and I was major and stuff. So I took a year off where I was going to apply to medical school and these scholarships and things. And then with, and then also do comedy. Mm-hmm. And then within that first year, things just like, I, I was able to support myself and it was just so fun. And then Jimmy Kimmel got in touch mm-hmm. and then I just kind of kept going. And then there was just never time to go back. That's and the perfect just, transition. I think that that's probably what everyone wants is like, Oh, I'll just, I'll do this until I can no longer do the thing I have to. Mm-hmm. But what happens to so many of my friends is like, Oh, I quit my job. Now I think I'm going to get a job at like Starbucks cause I'm not getting enough road gigs or I'm not getting any writing work. So you, that happened pretty quickly for you. I got very lucky early on. That That's awesome. I, and I think I had just enough positive feedback and like stuff from college that I was like, okay, maybe there's like some like, maybe there's like a little bit of a crumb to follow here. So mm-hmm. I like just enough that, and also once you get some positive feedback in the comedy world, it's, it's fucking heroin. Like you can't, <laughs> like having a room full of people facing you and laugh is just like, I need more. <laughs> and so it's, it's impossible. You become like cookie monster for laughs and it's just, it's impossible not to, I found it was very difficult to be like, okay, I'm going to go from getting positive feedback from strangers to like sitting in a dark underground lab doing the same test for nine months to maybe get a null result. Yeah. And like, it's just the time scales of like, and I also made, kept asking the question of like, let's say it doesn't work out great. Would I rather in 10 years be like a mid-level comedian or like a mid-level neuroscientist? Like, would I, would I, which one would I rather be like not very successful at? Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think I would rather have, at least tried to do comedy because then it's you're still having fun you're meeting interesting people and just being like a middling scientist just sounds so frustrating you like can't <laughs> get your own projects you can't like i guess it's the same in comedy but like it's just the t- like you can do a project for 10 years and then get a result that you were just like it was a stupid test well to touch on the first thing you said like Part of me feels sometimes that like a neuroscientist would look at a need for a human to get laughs in that response the same way we would look at like a rat that keeps touching a button or something mm-hmm. and be like, oh, it's just, it's such a simple brain thing. Like, yeah. why do you keep needing that dopamine? But so sometimes I look at it that way, like, oh man, maybe we're making too much out of this. Cause people can get really into like comedy is the social order thing and it really touches on this ephemeral collection of energy that humans share. And you're like, it's just a bunch of silliness and people respond at the same time and it makes your brain give a little dose of something good. Yeah. I think unfortunately 
comedy is important but i think a lot of the like theories about how important it is kind of come afterwards yeah it's real because once you know once you get that like dopamine burst your brain just wants it again and it wants a slightly bigger one Mm -hmm. and then it gets that slightly bigger one then you want an even bigger one and then if you don't get that then you're like (laughs) (laughs) i hate myself (laughs) like you just you need it yeah your education i guess like coming from seattle Mm -hmm. go to high school there where are you from I'm from Nevada originally. Ooh. So like Reno? the way I went to, I'm from, yeah, just north of Reno. Oh yeah. And I, why'd you guess Reno instead of Vegas? No one ever does that. Uh, you just you give off a Reno vibe. <laughs> <laughs> give off a north of Reno vibe. Hey, thanks man. That's, um, that's one of the kindest things anyone's ever said. <laughs> <laughs> I think most people, if you said that to them, they'd be like, what? That's, that's no way to take that other than an insult. No, it's good. Okay, I find it. I'm proud of Reno. I'm I'm happy with it. But I, I think, think you're above Reno. You're above it all. <laughs> Slightly north of <laughs> Reno. Uh, but I went to college with like, just I had applied a few places because I you know was like gonna have the opportunity to go, and I did fairly well in high school. So I was like that might be something worth pursuing. But I didn't have. I remember opening this book with my mom and like reading all these different majors, and she's mm. like, "What about that one?" And I was like. Mm, I don't know. What was it? And then the guidance counselor at school or the registrar was like, oh, you remind me of my son and my husband. They're both civil engineers. Mm. So I just kind of blindly chose that one. Like, all right. I've never met either of these dudes. I don't even know if she was saying that in a nice way. <laughs> They're both in jail. <laughs> but were you like real into the brain and like, this is what I want to study? Uh, I think I was always interested in it but i took like an intro neuro class my freshman year and i was like oh my god like i just had one of those and i also it was just like it was interesting it felt like there was work in it and i just that like summer after my freshman year i just like got high all the time and read all these like nonfiction books about like how your brain's changing and stuff and i just Mm -hmm. like ate it up in a way i'd never I never read very much and I was like excited. I would like leave my, I would like be like, okay, I have to stop. So I don't, I don't finish it all in one night. Like it was like, I was an insane nerd for about it. And I was like, okay, if I'm craving it that much, there must be, must be enjoying it. And then to go work in it, like, did you switch majors? Not no, you, we, you didn't have to declare your major until sophomore year, I think. Oh, and by okay. then I had kind of, I was like, all right, that seems like. And where are you going to school at this point? Uh, in Rhode Island at, at Brown. Oh, okay. And then where is that where you did, did you do graduate work as well? No, I started to, and then comedy stuff mm-hmm. kind of came around. Cool, man. That So Brown, of like a very prestigious school, like getting in there is just something you wanted to do or uh, just kind of have you applied and got in? Yeah, it was. I did like the early thing. So I had a little bare chance of getting in. I don't know. I think my, my parents were just very, uh, they were very, like, uh, aggressive about, you know, you, you have to strive for the best kind uh, of stuff. So I, there was pressure to do that. And I think that one seemed like it was a great place. But also, like, I went there and people just seemed friendly. And it wasn't, there. this isn't like the, like, it was a lot less douchey than I f- think a lot of the other, those kind of places. And... There wasn't that like competitive element, like mm-hmm. I f- especially in like medical. I don't know if it's the same in civil engineering because I remember in a lot of the engineering departments it was the same, but it was very like internally competitive. I was like, why would you be competing with people you're going to be like working with? It's so <laughs> dumb. Like I remember just the the initial intro classes being so big that the idea of competition was kind of silly. It was oh, more a matter yeah. of just like just stay afloat, like you know. Sure. It's very much like most of these people are going to drop out or switch majors. Like just try to keep keep it. T- so it was, I D- guess competitive in that way, but definitely not like all right, we'll see who's the top dog. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have to build models and stuff like bridges out of toothpicks or anything? A little bit, yeah. We did, That's we cool. did some. Um, for like you know some of the projects we would mostly toward the end it started being more about like um it, it was all calculations yeah so you might do yeah. some like cheesy plotting and be like well this is kind of what the bridge would look like but it'd be just 2d kind of sure. cad work or something i remember all the engineers are being like oh my god i'm gonna build stuff i like worked in a tool shop with my dad <laughs> and then it was just like oh calculus yeah and that was 100 percent of it oh yeah that's what talked me out of it i had a an internship and uh i was doing all this fun outdoor stuff mm-hmm. and then i toward the end of the summer i was just writing foundation plans in cad and I was what like, is what, can what's a good way to describe it i mean it's 
So if you want to make a blueprint, the old way would be like to get the drafting table and then you'd have like the protractors and things and mm. trace and oh, write so these cool. lines. And they just switched that. It was one of the first things they kind of went, we could do this digitally. Yeah. And so you would just, it's a computer program that made it way easier to just, you'd, you know, add. Really, you could go in and draw the lines, but mostly you're just putting in dimensions and it would draw the stuff for you. Oh, that's cool. So day in and day out, just adding dimensions, double checking them. Mm-hmm. And then you'd go to this huge printer and it'd print out these big beautiful blueprints oh it sounds awesome it was fun for like a week and then (laughs) (laughs) after doing that (laughs) that feeling of like i'd be just doing this like oh for a long time like for a few years that's all you would do when you if you started working here and i was like i don't have any interest in that so that we were probably similar in that regard like "Eh, i want to do something that seems a little more exciting sure yeah so little of it is actually like carving something or like building a (laughs) model or do you still keep up with the books, like the the books? Yeah, yeah, the, the, the neuroscience. <laughs> you keep books. it up with the books, man. Do, do you keep I up know. with the neuroscience books? It's so no, not even a little bit. I really should. I there's just so much information from your past that you lose. I mean, even even in high school, like remember yeah. all the like chemistry classes and stuff. You just it's just gone. Yeah, like it's you would a... in languages or just it's just out of your brain now, and it's such a shame. So I wish I would do a better job of like preserving memories but if you don't use them you lose them do you have an interest in having children (laughs) like right now in your life just at some point it seemed like you were about to propose that we have some kids (laughs) let's get some kids let's get them no because i've lately been thinking about how and i remember maybe just something comes with being a parent that you as a kid you think everything you're especially like your dad does mm-hmm. if he's shown you how to like chop wood or something if they know dimensions on stuff or you know mm-hmm. like putting a chain on a bike and then pedaling it and you're like whoa it's the wheel. <laughs> I, but i think of that a lot that like i could there's maybe i am wrong and i know how to do a lot more things but as far as knowing them like i couldn't sit down currently and teach a child any level of math or a language or all the oh, stuff you're yeah. talking about like all the information just pours out of your head like a sieve and you're like, what am I? I'm just a collection of like <laughs> the most recent stuff I've heard in the last week and that's it? I think we are. I think we're just like very loose sponges, which yeah. is a shame. Although I think when you have kids, maybe some of it starts to come back or at least maybe parents are just kind of figure, like re-remembering it along with their kids. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, you know, they get the math homework that their kid needs help with and they're like, okay, I can learn. Like they're just learning it again, but faster. I, I know when I was in my early 20s and I was tutoring and I would just go in so confident, like I've been doing math nonstop basically mm-hmm. since I was your age. But there, every now and again, we get to a chapter and I'd be like, this doesn't ring a single bell. <laughs> and I would- uh, What was that? Oh, uh, that was my stomach. I, <laughs> I have a uh you know how there's like a, a uh, those electronic hearts <laughs> yeah. i have an electronic stomach i've got that electronic stomach it just looks like a, a car battery it's full of acid <laughs> you just pour the food in there and then shimmy it out i um what was that oh the, this computer this backup recording device needed uh something done to it mm. so um, you recording this onto a cd-rom i don't know why the cd just ejected this, this is uh, strange. But uh, no, I'm not recording it under there. I'm getting it on a digital card. No way. And then uh, you, you're... Um, it's funny. No one, uh, That's happened a few times in recording and no one ever asks. I just go, oh, it's my stomach. And then we just move right ahead. You're like the first person. Oh. Like, Wait, what was that? <laughs> over here behind the curtain doing all these. You've got like 400 devices over there. <laughs> You've got some panel with like a thousand knobs. You've got the Zoom, which I'm guessing is doing the lion's share of the work. And yeah. then you have this computer that's spitting shit out every two seconds. Yeah, yeah. It's really with the heavy reminders of, uh, yeah. it was just for me to take my pills or something. Oh, reminder, no, it, it make won't. stomach joke. <laughs> uh, did you see a futile and um, stupid gesture? No. The Doug Kenny movie, like the mm-hmm. National Lampoon guys? I, I feel like... Um, more so your trajectory because he's from kind of a family that like is his dad's just adamantly he got to go to harvard that's what you and then he studies there but he's just always goofing off and like kind of incapable of taking anything seriously mm-hmm. that seems like that resonates with you a little bit where like was it always that way like the an inability to maybe like anytime you're taking something seriously like this is so dumb why are we taking shit seriously it's just a silly silly world um man i gotta see this movie now i think 
unfortunately i think i do take things seriously <laughs> like because it just seems like there's too much like there's too much like scariness in the world but i also i guess i always tried to see the silliness in like science stuff and i would write uh like comedy pieces about science things because things really are bonkers like even skin is weird and like yeah. hair is weird chairs are weird like just everything like chairs are just like butt extenders <laughs> like for to the ground it's just so and teeth is just like it's just your skeleton and it just turns all your food into soup yeah like it's just everything is bizarre and we kind of take it at face value so i think i don't know i guess i see things silly i don't i can't tell hmm but there's not a concerted effort or like a conscientious decision to like, oh, I, I always think that when like, if I'm behaving a certain way or if I see it in other people, like, oh, this person, maybe they have ADD or maybe they are like when you mentioned the chain being like, you know, from a loss is like sometimes mm-hmm. people deal with a lot of stuff when they're young and they go, I, I'm not going to like feel these feelings and really like look into stuff. I'm just going to, it's all going to be a joke. It's all silly. Not to say that that's how you feel, but I'm just... Or Call me out. <laughs> no, but I'm curious like, if you... Because, you know, you get into comedy. like Sure. Yeah, it's an easy way to deal with the world by going... <laughs> like, it's... I guess you can find the silliness and everything and it makes things easier to swallow. Because mm-hmm. it really is. It's a spooky world out there. But yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Is that everyone's focus currently seems to be much more toward, yeah, like the world right in front of us, like looming sort of terror and destruction. And Mm -hmm. in some ways, that's got to be a bummer, like coming from a world where like the brain is, yeah, that's got to be sad. You know what's a bummer? (laughs) Gloom. (laughs) But I mean, from someone, what's this guy doing? Hey, boy. I didn't didn't acknowledge that that our pet animal is in here and he's being a real beast, kind Mm -hmm. of chewing on stuff. Um, But I meant it must be for you specifically, like the brain being this uncharted, vast, you know, unknown thing. Mm -hmm. That must, if you could, like to go into that world and and follow that, pursue it, as opposed to like, oh, I can't. I'm too busy thinking about this administration or like the future future generations or whatever it might be. Yeah, man, I wish, now you're making me wish I'd st- stuck with brain stuff. <laughs> no, that wasn't my intent. <laughs> I guess, it, yeah, there, that's a that's a good point. I don't, it's, it is harder to do like serious stuff when it feels like there's problems that are just like so much right in front of us. But I guess I always think about it like the same way you have like an IRA of like, you might not live to retirement age, but like it's a possibility, so you may as well prep for it. Yeah, like it's, I don't. I, it's also crazy how much, like advance, how fast and brilliant, and science is evolving, and yet it's like not fully reflected in our day to day life because of like just like dumb political reasons. Yeah, like it would be so easy for us to be completely off of carbon right now like the solar panel and wind technology in the past like even five years is insane and just just like it almost makes sometimes science feel pointless it's like why are we building these things if like the people who have the money to implement it just won't yeah but i think eventually like the like cult political culture will catch up to the science and it makes it harder to say no to things that are just like so obviously economically the right decision yeah and that's a isn't that the big part of that the crux of that is like it currently isn't like such an unbelievable savings that it's not the only option if it became that then people would go oh well i'm i'm using solar i'm using this type of vehicle because it's so much cheaper for me yeah and it's been that way for like 20 years and there's just the information's just like held up i don't yeah. know just because car companies have a have us by the dick yeah and po- the politicians just have us by the dick and you don't hear there's not like there aren't news reports about like solar continues to be cheaper again <laughs> like it's not there's no news reports on like the good things unless it's like dark chocolate makes you live another 20 years like right. and it's always just the stupid pop science but there's not like just like the I guess that's just complaining about news being too negative, which just gives every, just paints this kind of dark picture of everything. Oh, and it depends on where you're getting your news from also. Sure, sure. Because yeah, if you're just like the, the Twitter trending things or whatever, and oh, this, this one thing happened in science. And then if you went to a, 
maybe a different science publication, which I'm sure when you were like in neuroscience to look at the amount of things that get published every week or month or whatever. And like, it's, it's gotta be pretty overwhelming. Yeah, it really, and also they don't publish. I think one of the biggest complaints is that people don't publish null results. So like just so many experience, experience, all right, just burped in my mouth. So many experiments don't, uh, work out. Like they just like their hypothesis was wrong mm-hmm. and they never publish those. Yeah. So it leads scientists to like fudge their results sometimes or like only do experiments that they know will work and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess you never had to have any of that pressure. Cause what you were, you were just doing undergrad work and kind of, did you have something that was specifically your own or you always uh, doing? Yeah, I did have one uh, project that was going out to publications that was about, it was a, cognitive neurogenetic one where we were seeing like if there are certain dopamine genes that if you have like different versions of them it like helps and makes you smarter essentially mm-hmm. so uh so we were publishing that and i did and it was crazy because i don't know if i should say this but it was depending on what type of like outlier removal we used so like you know when you get like a data set there's like you you know if something's like three deviations away from the the mean then you get rid of it so there's different ways that you can like clean up data before you start analyzing it and just depending on which type of outlier removal we used it made the results either significant or not which is like the whole big deal about whether you can get published or not so Ah. it just made me realize that so many experiments are actually not showing anything but they just are very good at like cleaning up data oh that probably made it so that they could get it published and actually then say all these grandiose things about the work not to say that all science does this very probably a very small subset and especially in like social sciences or like soft psychological sciences this is more where just the effects are very small but if there's a lot of data manipulation you can do does that make you you know more more inclined to think like man the science that made it through is concrete or do you look at it and go like man it's hard to say what's real exactly yeah it's so hard to say what's real and that's why every science does have decent ways of dealing with that because there are these things called meta-analyses where they like take the data from like five thousand different experiments that were all around the same topic and then Mm -hmm. be like okay if we combine all of these what does it say and that stuff's always helpful yeah but at least they're trying to replicate things like there is some kind of objective truth that they're trying to get at when you're i don't know i would assume with studying sleep you know like looking at someone that has all the wires attached to their head Mm -hmm. and different parts of their brain that is lighting up through those electrodes and like oh this this region of their brain is really active right now how do you then transfer that into data uh well those so with sleep studies they use these things called eegs which is like what you're talking about like it looks like a ponytail of wires coming off of different spots and those all get connected into this box that then you have like a readout and those readouts you can see them in in real time come like while someone's sleeping yeah and based on the waveform you can tell what stage of sleep they're in where their eyes are moving, how much muscle tone they have. You can tell if they're dreaming or not. Really? Yeah, because dreaming is in a different stage of sleep called REM, Mm -hmm. rapid eye movement sleep. And when you're in that sleep, your muscle tone shuts off, like your brainstem shuts off signals going between your brain and your spine because otherwise your body would act out your dreams i saw a thing where they inhibited that in cats and then uh they were walking around the room like living their dreams oh really oh that's bizarre they're just like sleepwalking like little zombie cats and then people like i sometimes on flights will have sleep paralysis where i can kind of wake up it's the worst yeah my girlfriend has a thing where she'll wake up and kind of have night terror things Uh which is like the glitch there where yeah. Her body failed to keep her paralyzed during it. Both glitching in either way is scary. So if you're still asleep and you're, well, let's say you wake up and that signal hasn't shut off. It's terrifying because you're awake and you can't move. You're yeah. like, that's so scary. But you also have people who have the other problem where their brain is still asleep, but the signals are going through. So they start like acting out their dreams and people have like killed their spouses. They have like jumped out of windows. A lot of them are innocuous. They're just like kicking their sheets around, but some of them get very scary. And that's kind of what sleepwalking and stuff is. Yeah. Did you, I mean, did you have any of those in the sleep study? I'm sure that must happen. 
We didn't have a lot of those because they're pretty rare. The one we would get a lot is, <laughs> do you see people hump their beds a lot while they're sleeping? <laughs> like, and you'd have to, they're called parasom. But then you have to look at the data and just pretend like that's not happening. Okay, well, this. No, you don't pretend it's not happening. You write it down. You say when it happened. You say what nice. stage of sleep. Like, is you want to know that stuff. Was it killing you as a comedian to have to write down, like, simulating sexual intercourse with bed? Or would you just write, this guy's trying to have sex? Trying to have sex. <laughs> uh, it was good. I think I was taking it so seriously, but I did, you know, you, you do giggle. You can't not giggle. I mean, you see someone fucking their bed while they're still asleep and you're like, okay. Was it lonely in the neuroscience world when that happens and you're chuckling and the people next to you are like, did anyone else mark that down? <laughs> uh, you do get people who are very self-serious about the world and the work that they do. And that is important, but I think... For the most part, scientists are still like humans who like still yeah. they like go on dates and they laugh and they tell silly stories and they like comedy. And everyone I met like was still a very normal person that just happened to be what they yeah. did for that's a living. Been, I've been doing this podcast for a few years and that's typically the case with this is why I keep expecting people to come in. Hello, I'm basically a computer that can speak. <laughs> it hasn't been the case. But people like if you just saw their credentials or their education, like that would certainly be intimidating and everyone else would go. Pfft. And maybe that speaks to the whole anti-intellectual thing, anti-intellectualism that's currently happening where people start seeing that and go, wait a second, this guy went to Yale. He can't be president. He thinks he's better than me. Mm -hmm. So then everyone dumbs it down and talks like, you know, like. Yeah, which is crazy because you would think you'd want someone who's better than you (laughs) to be president. (laughs) You want the person who's in charge of you dying or not to be way, way better than you. That's exactly. Yeah. How did that, if you think like the government can manipulate and through propaganda, when you think that would be the message they'd be trying to get We're better than you. We're better than you. (laughs) I don't know. It's so stupid. The like, I I cannot fathom the anti-intellectual movement. It's just like, I think people like to imagine that they could be president and that they can relate to this person, but you shouldn't be able to relate to this. That's why Hillary, I think, would have been a good president. I can't relate to her. I would would not want to get a beer with her. She seems like an asshole. Right. But fuck, she'd be a good president (laughs) because she'd be an asshole. Like you want an asshole to be president because she'd be so competent. She'd be intimidatingly competent. That you'd want that to be... Bernie would be a nightmare to hang out with, but he'd be <laughs> such a good president because he just, like, knows all these things. Like, so, the the fact that those... That you have to be personable is, like, fuck. Like, why do you have to be, like, a good networker and, like, dumb yourself down? Yeah. That's made That's, me feel... I hate that so much. Oh, it's real weird. I mean, it's been... I, when I first started doing The Road and comedy and seeing comics that would go out and then suddenly come back and have a couple tags that were just a little beneath them, a little too dick jokey, I was like, well, I get it. Like, it's rough when you're just barreling through a set in the middle of nowhere and people aren't into it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you add in, like, a, a shit joke or something just mm. to get a rise. And the sure. next thing you know, that takes over. And I struggle with that. I think every com- comedian does, like... Cause farts and shit and all that that's the funniest that's the funniest goofiest <laughs> people humping their beds in a sleep study but you don't want to like add into it but so then what are you doing like uh, do you know uh, doing comedy that's just so like erudite and lofty yeah. that it's obnoxious you it, can't do that either it's you do i mean there's also well because comedy is different comedy is you're trying to relate to people being mm-hmm. the president is not that but right. it's ex- they're expected to do that Maybe when they started putting them on TV, it changed. Where through the radio, yeah. hearing someone know their stuff, you're like, I don't care what this person looks like. I don't care how charming they are. They seem to know the their foreign affairs or foreign policy issues well, and mm-hmm. et cetera. Who knows? Yeah, but you do have you do need to simplify comedy, I think, to make it more palatable. Like it's more like you want it to be in very like i think that's what louis was good at may he rest in peace but it was he was just very good at like doing very complex topics but talking like just like a regular joe like you're in conversation yeah yeah, yeah i agree with that R. i R. think R. that is like a really difficult skill i mean maybe that is the ultimate aim of a comedian is to walk out of a room and everyone that was in it went like that was really funny mm-hmm. I, and i don't feel dumber yeah <laughs> <laughs> And that's why sometimes stuff like Dimitri Martin's a genius, but he like, I can't imagine some of his stuff playing to like middle America. Cause like so much of it is like so heady and like mm-hmm. you have to really be on board with like, I am a thinking smart man. Like it's <laughs> like, and he's such a genius and you get some other comics who are like that too, that I can see it being alienating if you're not like 
there for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want. I mean, if we could get into a whole comedy discussion just on that, because like, how did Carrot Top go f- from one side to the other? At one point, he did was he? like kind of a hot thing. He was on TV a lot, and I think people went like, "Oh, that's so clever," and then it became, "Oh, that's that's props. It's terrible. It's really dumb." But uh-huh. I think initially when you saw it, you'd be like, that's a really interesting brain. The way that brain works and to like that's interesting. draw those things together. I thought it was, I thought he was very clever. And then it just, he became like this punchline that he. Same with Gallagher. There's this like documentary I was watching about him that he like used to be this kind of like avant-garde genius. And then prop comedy became associated with like big dumb idiots. Mm-hmm. But just because someone uses props, it doesn't make them like. I'm only saying this because I use a couple props, but uh, <laughs> it doesn't like you can still use an object intelligently. You don't have yeah. to just be like sitting down talking and that like people like visuals. Henry Phillips is like, is such a brilliant guitarist and then his songs are really silly and weird. Mm-hmm. But 99% of the time when you see someone walk out on stage with a guitar, they go, and I've got a boner, blah, 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 blah. blah. You, know, like, <laughs> ah, <damn it. laughs> you hear that guitar comedians? We don't want to hear about your boner anymore. Cut out that boner song. It's overdone. Yeah. Well, I want to talk more about sleep and and the the study of the brain. Let's do it. it. How are you enjoying this Iron Fist Pale Ale thus far? I finished it. It was pretty good. Man, you're quick. I didn't even see you go go into it. I drink alcohol very quickly. I don't know. It's not intentional. I just do it. Okay. I guess I do. We'll refill and get some more and then uh, continue if you're up for that. Sure. We'll come back next week for part two with Zach. We get a little bit more into the writing side of things. And um, it was one of those chats where afterward I was like, dang it, we didn't really fully get into dreams and sleep and all these neuroscience things that I'm really fascinated by. So hopefully he'll come back and talk about that a little bit more. But um, I think there's a reason. I don't know if I I felt like um, during the chat, like, oh, you know, sometimes I think when we have to be fully into something to still be able to focus solely on that if that makes any sense you know if you're really into neuroscience you can talk about it endlessly but if you have other interests or if you're just like ah it's too stale then then you might it might wander so part of that's probably on me that i during that conversation didn't keep steering it back toward hey hey hey, let's cover dreams what are dreams i want to know what dreams are and i know during uh, the professor blastoff days i would always get kind of people would 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 sort of uh lament the fact that i tried to keep the uh, the focus too much like let's stay on track here but i do think there's some value in that however sometimes i think it's worthwhile just to let it uh wander where wherever it wants to go so um anyway if you want to hear more about writing and and kind of that trajectory in zach's life come back next week for part two with more of the iron fist okay let's get out of here thanks for all the uh support that the show gets whether that's through the patreon or just telling a friend or recommending a scientist you can email pings at thespacecave.com with any input. You have something nice to say, something mean to say, a guest suggestion, beer, music, or otherwise, please feel free to contact pings at the space cave or space underscore cave on Twitter. You can bother Dan on there as well. He's at Dan from Orange, like the color. Um, I don't know how else you would spell orange. There are no other oranges. There's just that one orange. Or maybe... You're thinking of one right now, and I'm missing it. A great way to solve that, pings at thespacecave.com. Here is some... Oh, the the four-year anniversary of The Junk Show is April 8th. If you happen to be in Los Angeles, uh, it's going to be pretty great. Jean Hotspot's going to be there, who's contributed to the show a lot, but she's always done it from Virginia, and now she'll be in Los Angeles to see her first ever show. So I'm excited about that, and uh, hopefully you can make it out as well. We'll have a lot of cool guests on, some of my favorites and uh should be an eclectic fun weird night with magic and music and animation all of that stuff i'm gonna try to start getting rid of some of my uh dvds that i have laying around here i know that sounds hideously outdated but i mean i have the most of them and i don't want them anymore so i'm gonna try to figure out a way to raise some money for my friend chuck by uh, getting rid of my dvds so keep an eye out for that if you'd like to help there and also get something in return. It'll be a bit of a fundraiser. If you haven't listened to any of my uh, stand-up CDs, maybe have a, a gander at those. There's um, Humanitis and Explosion Land and One-Headed Beast and perhaps something new coming out in this year, or there should be at least, because uh, I did The Fringe last year and recorded some of those shows and on and on and on. Anyway, Dan on occasion sends me music 
and very rarely is it something that I find fits the show and or is something that I would ever listen to. Um, sometimes I think he's just messing with me, which sometimes he is. And um, other times he sends me stuff that I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. This is one of those cases. And at the time I checked, I think it only had like 40 views on YouTube. So listening to this, you're getting in on the ground floor. Or perhaps this is just a bootlegged version and this is a band that I should know of and they have like billions of followers and I'm unfamiliar. Apologies. But the version that I saw, minimal views, which I like. So if you like it, you can support them, help them get up and going. This is from Cats. It's called Waterfall. Thanks for stopping by the Space Cave. See me Come and go I'm not the wisest I waited for It took a better stay by the shore See 